and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and we have with us three future past guests. That's guests. true. Yeah, that is as accurate description. Uh, we have Tony Hoff. Hello, Paul Wilcox. Great to be here, Doug Gobeski. Hiya. And so we are here on our 45th installment of the Mary Marvel Movie March. We're talking about the May 2014 movie, X-Men Days of Future Past. Folks, we've, we've also got for you X-Men Days of Future Past, the rogue cut to talk about. Uh, X-Men Days of Future Past is the story of one Dennis X-Man, who is last in line to inherit the X-Mansion, but he doesn't want to be last in line. He'd much rather be first in line. So he travels back to the past so he can become the first in line to inherit the X-Mansion. And he does it. Great job. <laughs> when he, when he's, when he's Everything last, went better than expected. <laughs> when he's last in line, though, like how far in last is he? Uh, he's about 50 years behind. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just like thinking of like a really big family and he's like, he's like 49th <laughs> away. He had to skip a few generations. Yeah. <laughs> Which means he has to kill his brothers and sisters. So I don't know how much I've thought through this. He doesn't have to kill them. He just has to be born before they are. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. So obviously the only way to, to do that is to... Um, Collect the sperm. Is, is to, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then take it back. <laughs> before he back to the future fades out of existence. Mm. That's a real. <laughs> that's a that's a good movie, right there. <laughs> yeah. That wow. That makes more sense than what I was thinking, which is getting every person who is ahead of him and taking that sperm forward in time <laughs> to after he was born. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, just you just have to do it one time. You don't have to. You have to do it <laughs> fifty times. Because when you come back to the present, then you're older. You're a lot older, and you lost all. I don't know. This is an interesting movie. This is Primer-esque. <laughs> yeah. Except so, so dumb. It, that's not spoilers <laughs> for that movie, is it? <laughs> I feel like someone could explain that movie in great detail and it wouldn't be a spoiler because I still wouldn't get it. <laughs> Primer with excessive ejaculations. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Excessive? Let's define 49 excessive. of them. <laughs> All right, I guess depending on the yeah. person. So when the 50th one occurred, we're like, yeah, that's just, we didn't need that last one. Yeah. That's just not realistic. <laughs> yeah, just a stamp appears on the screen. Gratuitous. <laughs> I just like Adam's reaction to, <laughs> what's excessive? 49 of them! <laughs> we, we, we learned uh, Adam's uh, the line. <laughs> well, no, you learned what's past the line. We didn't oh. know if that What's the line or not? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> is it 48? Is it zero? We don't know. <laughs> Whose line is it anyway? Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we can move on. Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, ejaculation. So anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, back on it. <laughs> Should we just start over? <laughs> i don't know we need a palette you, you should <laughs> you should start over with the the explanation of the dennis version uh, <laughs> dennis cut i don't, I don't know. know i thought it was pretty good yeah, we're gonna go back to ejaculating the, the dennis is, yeah the dennis cut you can try to change the past but sometimes it just plays out the same way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah that's very optimistic doug thinking that uh a second take is going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> is it going to make it worse? <laughs> Maybe this is the best possible timeline. <laughs> well, then Why I guess... do I even participate in these? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess Doug should give us the real synopsis in three sentences or less. Okay. Um, in the near future, Sentinels have won the battle between sentinels and mutants so wolverine has to go back into his own past and prevent the future that he comes from from coming to pass that was one sentence i think 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, I I think that got the gist of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And not a Charlie Wallace run on sentence either. Like actually, <laughs> decent structure to it. <laughs> you know, there wasn't any like multiple hyphenated academic jargon thrown in there. Yeah. <laughs> and surprisingly, no ejaculations. <laughs> you just um, wanted to get that back in. No, you're quite correct. Tony, you're quite correct. I was very even in my delivery of it. I would like to think. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like this. <laughs> and yeah, special treat for people today. Uh as we may or may not have said, depending on what gets cut and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. We watched two versions of this movie, the theatrical version and then the Rogue Cut, which was released the following year straight to uh, video. So had any of you seen this movie before? I indeed have seen this movie before in theaters. Um, I had not seen this movie prior to the first viewing of it. <laughs> well, you mean two days ago? Yeah. Okay. Uh, same for me. I... I had never seen it. Then I saw it on Friday, and then uh, and then I had seen it after that was done, and then seen it today. And uh, I'm gonna go back into the past and uh, change this to no. <laughs> I saw it in theaters, uh, and then as I think I may have said on the X Men Three podcast, um, we bought the Blu-ray, but because this movie is kind of the culmination of a lot of other X-Men movies. We were like, let's watch all the other X-Men movies before we watch this. And then we stalled out on X-Men 3. We didn't want to watch it, which meant that this sat on my shelf uh, unwatched until um, two days ago. But I had in between those two viewings, I had watched the Rogue Cut once before, partly to see if it was worth watching for this. And I asked Doug if it was worth watching. He said, sure, why not? And so we, so then I watched the road cut of like a few minutes ago. Oh, I didn't know that this was my fault. Before the march, I had not seen any of the X Men movies that involve the newer cast from the past. So, nope, I hadn't seen it. They all kind of blended together for me just from trailers and reviews and such. So, it's kind of nice to be able to put yeah, some ideas to the names of these movies and separate them as I go through. All right. So uh, we have the return of Brian Singer as the director after having done the first two X-Men movies and not subsequently. Uh, originally, it was going to be Matthew Vaughn, who did X-Men First Class. Uh, but reportedly, he basically had plans for an X-Men prequel trilogy, basically. So where the first one was going to be his first class. And the second movie was going to be like a something involving like back in the past and young Wolverine. And then the culmination of that was going to be X-Men days of future past. And apparently um, some of the executives at uh, 20th century Fox or whoever the specific production company was, was basically lashed. And I was like, Oh yeah, days of future past. That sounds awesome. We should do that now. And Matthew Vaughn was like, no, we that's the end. Cause if you do that second, where do you go from there? There's nowhere to go. And they were like, no, we should totally do it. And he was like, all right, well, um, if that's what you want to do, that's totally cool. I don't think I'm the right person to direct that movie. Peace out. So I think it was a reasonably amicable parting, but he went off and did the Kingsman movies instead, and that's why we get Brian Singer back. Joy. I mean, apart from him being just a terrible human being, I certainly think he's a skilled director. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Yeah. it's not like they got Brett Ratner back in. Right. Or got David S. Goyer to direct. Mm-hmm. Wait, are they bad people? Uh, well, Brett Ratner's a bad person. David S. Yeah. is a bad director. Ah, okay. As we saw from Blade Trinity. Oh, he's the Blade <laughs> Trinity? Oh, gross. <laughs> oh, that was that was back when I was only watching um, the, the second films. <laughs> well, I only saw Blade uh, 2. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the second film for the new old cast. Yeah, right? but oh, he didn't watch First Class, so yeah, his streak's say. alive. Oh yes. Oh. <laughs> good work, Tony. I'm I'm actually excited, but not too excited, Paul. Oh, good. We wouldn't want to hit number fifty. <laughs> Wait, so Tony, you had not seen X Men First Class before? 
No. Or at all? I still have not. No. Oh. Was there any confusion for you with the time travel and like the two professors and two magnetos and such? No. I <laughs> like I guess I I guess if that gives away something, I mean I No, much- it it means I, that they did a good job. If they'd done a poor job, then you wouldn't follow it unless you'd seen the previous movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, they set it up really easily in this one where they say, you're going back to the future and you have to convince myself. For me, I, I, I was not confused at all. And I, I was going to say, like, for not knowing anything about X-Men, I found this to be a pretty good, like, standalone movie. Like, I really enjoy the premise of going back in time and, like, changing everything. And usually I don't like films that are to like go back in timey or something because it just doesn't seem like it makes sense but this had enough where they like talked about how it actually worked and it was like oh like i i could follow that that logic so i really enjoyed um at least the setup of this yeah like it adds the nice twist of there not being like a duplicate like it's yeah more like his memories go back into his body from that time right I thought it was pretty cool. Like we're not in the back to the future. Um, your photos gradually fading sort of situation either. Like nothing changes until it's completely done, which is kind of nice because otherwise this movie wouldn't have worked very well either. Right. I actually thought about that when, um, what would you, would you call her Raven or mystique when she's, she's with Magneto there and like, is like says that she'll kill him. And, I was wondering, well, if she did kill him, like, what would happen to Magneto in the in present time? But yeah, I guess you're right. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it all changes at the end. Takes effect when what when uh, Wolverine Wolverine goes back to the future. <laughs> well, so so I, so on the second viewing, watching the Rogue cut, I was I had a little bit of a thought about that, which was uh, maybe Beast was kind of right. When he was like, yeah, you know, if you just throw a pebble in the river, it's not going to change the course of the river. So it was but such... throw a wolverine in the river. <laughs> no, but, but, even, but even that wasn't enough. It wasn't until... I know, I just wanted to... I mean, I, I realize I'm skipping to the very end of the plot here, but it wasn't until Mystique finally, you know, decides, okay, I'm not going to, you know, kill this guy that things actually did get set down a different path. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good observation. I don't know what yeah, else to no, say. No, that's true. Yeah. They had claimed though, that like she had never killed before up until the, until she murdered uh, Peter Dinklage. Uh, what was his character's name? Uh, Trask. 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 Yeah. And, but didn't she kill the, the Vietnamese general? No, we assume no, no. she just choked him out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just enough. To... Just took his place. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, okay. He's he's probably like bound up in the bathtub or something. Okay. I guess I it just seemed to me like uh like she killed him. I like to I like to be hit over the face with uh, <laughs> confirmation. <laughs> he dead, yo. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> P-E-D dead. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to well, just so- assume the Star Wars rules of if you don't see the body as dead and they're not really dead <laughs> then they'll just nonchalantly reveal that he's alive without any kind of is that or like, circumstance is, is that standard though by the way like is that like a standard in like movies and stuff like if you actually don't see them like die that you just uh, i don't know if that's true it just it's happened a couple times in the star wars sequel trilogy you know, actually, on that note, there's there's a scene late in the movie where Magneto is uh, walking down a hallway and, you know, going to steal his helmet back from the government. And he smashes several guys upside the head with these giant steel balls. But, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, OK, I, I guess he just knocked him out because the way these things go, if he had actually, uh, you know, wanted to kill them then we probably would have seen the balls penetrate their skulls or something. You know, they would have been just like, blam, right through your face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I appreciate that, you know, he, he showed some restraint. He didn't just kill the humans. Maybe he didn't want his balls to get all bloody. <laughs> well, he, he left them on the table. So it, do we know that? It wasn't. Yeah. We, we, that- see, we, we see him like smack 
the third guy in the head with the balls, and then they just, you know, fall down onto the table. Well, right, but we don't see him leave and maybe grab him on his way out. Yeah, he could have the balls back. I mean, I guess, but it's not like he couldn't just get new ones. Maybe he likes those. Maybe they got the right heft. They feel good to, to, you know, rotate around in his, well, not in his hand, but above his hand. There are many balls like this. (laughs) These are mine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Adam. Would you like to uh, give us a rundown of the comic on which this is based? Because this is based on a comic book story, right? It is. X-Men Days of Future Past, the comic book written by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Basically, there's a future tale where the Sentinels are killing all the mutants. So Kitty Pride goes back into time to stop this from happening. That's as much as I know because I've never read them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's only like one or two issues, right? I have not seen the issues themselves, which I guess isn't that surprising because they're famous. So probably people buy them when they see them and they have yet to show up in a uh, trade paperbacks that I own. According to Wikipedia, Mystique's still trying to assassinate someone, but instead of Trask, it's Senator Robert Kelly, who Ooh. I think was in the first X-Men movie, right? Yeah, he turned into a puddle. Yeah, so could have had Bruce Davison back, but I guess not. Well, I mean, instead, we got Peter Dinklage looking extremely 70s in the best way possible. <laughs> like, no, for real. I I adored the costume design in this movie. Like, Dinklage's hair and mustache in glasses combo in particular is just spot on. I agree. Kara uh, laughed at that as soon as she saw him. <laughs> she thought the mustache was great. <laughs> That's how do we thought, think Peter Dinklage did. Really good. Yeah, great. I mean, I was trying to think if I've ever seen Peter Dinklage not do something well. Right. But then I was also trying to wonder if I'd ever seen Peter Dinklage not be intense. Like, he's pretty intense in this movie. And even in things like Elf, he's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Or, pix- or Pixels. I haven't seen Pixels. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take your word. Then it. you might have your answer, but it wouldn't be his fault. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, I saw that movie was fine, but let's keep this off the record. No. <laughs> Your Pixels love is well documented. <laughs> oh, crap. No, actually, Tony? I'm, I'm not ashamed. Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop. Sorry, that's right. You can't, you can't, you're can't. you not next to him. You can't actually stop him. No, yeah. we're We've been social distancing. Well, I guess he'll just be hoist by his own petard. Hoist on his own Picard. <laughs> but... Oh, yeah, Picard's in this movie. And William Shatner. (laughs) Yeah. It's the naked time, Star Trek fans. That's the episode they're watching. Oh, you knew that just from that? Or did you look it up? uh, I did look it up, but there's only two real possibilities. Oh, okay. Well, since we're talking about cameos, my favorite was Kelsey Grammer, uh, obviously. I wondered if you were going to realize it was Kelsey Grammer. (laughs) (laughs) When he says, he goes, hey, Logan. And I'm like, Frazier? What? <laughs> I had to look it up, but yeah, no, I, I got it. <laughs> I assume that just means it's going to be a 12 out of 10 for you then. Kelsey Grammer. Oh, well, oh, I mean, obviously he wouldn't, he wouldn't say no to anything less than actually, I seem to vaguely recall hearing that he requested to be a part of it. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that might be me making up facts, but let's hereby say that. I like he he, no, I, I like this. He heard the he heard the movie was happening and was like, "Hey, I'll cameo." I like it. Oh, yeah. Turns out I'm I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that Kelsey Grammer was just vain enough to to ask. <laughs> uh, the cameo. So according to Wikipedia, the cameo was added because the writers felt that Nicholas Holt's Beast was such a sweet young character that audiences would want to learn he survived and once Grammer learned of this opportunity to return as Beast, a character he had enjoyed playing in X-Men 3 he called Sainer asking to get involved and was flown from New York in secret to avoid drawing attention Hmm. oh wow and then I guess as long as we're on cameos, um, obviously there's all the X-Men at the end, but I just want to point out that in the, the Senate scene where Trask is in front of the committee, uh Two of the senators are former X-Men writers. Um, the one with like the salt and pepper hair and beard is 
Len Wein, who is the person who is responsible for relaunching the X-Men in the 70s after their the initial book had more or less tanked in popularity. And then uh, another one is uh, he has white hair, he's bald, but he has a um, mustache. That's Chris Claremont, who is responsible for uh, making the X-Men as so popular that someone would wa- want to make a movie or animated series or anything like that about them. Basically, he turned them into one of Marvel's flagship books. You know who I was excited to see in this movie? Brian Singer, because he also has a cameo. Oh. He does? (laughs) Where? Uh, So after um, Mystique jumps out the window and gets shot, uh, one of the people with the the handheld camera is Brian Singer. Oh. What are you saying, Charlie? Oh, I was going to say Richard Nixon. Like, I didn't (laughs) expect there to be a Richard Nixon in this movie. And then he shows up on screen and is like, oh. They went for it. <laughs> Decent Nixon. Yeah, no, he was a good yeah. Nixon. Yeah. yeah. Too bad they couldn't have gotten the real Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if they could actually time travel, that really was. Yeah, fun. you know. <laughs> yeah, this proves that this movie is fake. <laughs> I will say this. It makes me very happy that Richard Nixon had no idea about certain programs within his own government. And it makes me <laughs> happy for today's timeline. <laughs> yeah they went to the vault too yeah <laughs> he was just inspecting it yeah <laughs> i just i'm just imagining like during during all the watergate stuff people being like yeah uh we did, really didn't like those killer robots he created but this watergate thing i think this is this is really gonna stick <laughs> <laughs> well, he was smart enough to go off the record on the, the killer robots. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the tape t- turning off the tape was a nice touch. Yeah, <laughs> maybe those are the missing minutes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious if they were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, the guy who played him, Mark Camacho, was actually in Punisher Warzone. I guess. So we have another connection from a previous Marvel movie. Yep. Boy, the best way to get into a Marvel movie is to be in a Marvel movie. Yeah, no kidding. Although I suppose is uh, if you're going to play Nixon, kind of having a Nixon-esque figure to start out with or a profile helps. Yeah. You could always just do prosthetics. No, yeah, that's true. Which the nose sure looked like prosthetic to me. Oh, yeah. But maybe it wasn't. Yeah. But yeah, that Nixon really does. He seems like he cares about the people of this country and wants to protect them. That's what I got from from those scenes. I'm pretty sure that's true of Nixon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's a hot take. No. <laughs> I like I like Charlie doing like lukewarm takes. <laughs> Nixon cared about the country. <laughs> Nixon, oh, he had problems, right. but he was the president. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he had problems, but he was the president. I like that. Right. I mean, there's the story that's been going around recently about how he went and talked to the protesters at the Lincoln Memorial at like 4 a.m. one night because it bothered him. The, you know, the reactions of the country and how he thought things were and why they were upset and stuff like that. I missed that story. Um, Yeah, basically, Nixon just at one point couldn't sleep because, you know, the protests about the war and the way things were going. And so he went and visited some of the protesters at the Washington Monument at like 4 a.m. or Lincoln Memorial. I think it was a Lincoln Memorial. And where he basically just went and talked to them just to try and understand where they were coming from. Did it work? Well, I mean, uh, we saw in this movie that they ended the war, so. Yeah. I don't know how much it worked, worked, but at least indicated that, you know, he had cared at least on some level right yeah for sure so i guess along those lines i've been kind of trying to formulate in my head what does this movie have to say about vietnam it seems to want to say something like it's so much a part of this movie yes. and i guess yeah. that's when it was happening at that time but i mean yeah, yeah. i guess a little i didn't get a, the imp- impression it was trying to say anything about vietnam it was just using vietnam as its backdrop because that was roughly 10 years after first class Hmm. well they did blame the vietnam for the failure of the school yeah i guess that's true but yeah i never got the impression that they were trying to make like (laughs) some statement here about vietnam right again it was just like you know (laughs) using the details we have professor x at the academy 
as his younger self, and he's all disheveled and traumatized from the war. They go out of their way to say that, like he wasn't there. But then he's, yeah, essentially, they make it appear like he's addicted to heroin, is what it looks like to me. I know that's not what it is, but he's definitely like strung out and injecting himself every day. Yeah. Just a lot of Lieutenant Dan vibes. Yeah, yes. I, I think Lieutenant Dan as well, especially well, especially in the road cut. Yeah, and may, yeah, maybe it is just using the Vietnam War as window dressing, and that's why I can't put it together as far as it wanting to say something. But it felt kind of like it did want to. I never got that impression. Mm. To be completely honest, but <laughs> I've watched this movie now four times. That has never once crossed my mind. No, right, yeah. One thing I thought this movie did well that has been my major complaint with a lot of the other movies we've watched, but especially the X-Men movies, is that there are a lot of characters, there are a lot of different mutants here, but they actually keep them separate. And it's a lot easier to keep track of what's going on, and it doesn't get crowded, because like you've got the mutants who are in the past, and you've got the mutants who are in the future. And you know, you've got Professor X and Magneto, right? And Wolverine, and they're both places, but there's not a lot of like... <laughs> Well, then all the other ones in the past are either dead or non-existent, or, right? There's not a lot of overlap in the characters, so you can kind of keep everything separate. Yeah. Well, Ink shows up in both the past and the future. Ink's the one oh. with the tattoos. Oh, yeah. Like, like the bird over his eye. Okay. Oh. oh. Yeah, I guess I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah there's... Mention it. So I... were, were all of the mutants in the future, are those, like, are those like well-established in yes. some previous property because i i really yeah. didn't know any of them. well yeah any, or so, at least like the handful you know the teleporting they're all comic book characters but they haven't all shown up in previous movies like every time i watch this movie i am just so happy to see bishop and blink just on the big screen so bishop is uh the black guy with dreadlocks in the future who can absorb energy and he's also got a big gun I mean the from the Actually, 90s I comics. Like I vaguely remember Bishop from my childhood. Yeah, he's in the TV cartoon, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's probably where yeah. I where I had seen him. Blink is kind of an interesting one because Blink was uh, created especially for the Phalanx Covenant crossover event and like she if I remember correctly she actually shows up for the first time there and then gets killed very shortly thereafter, but people like the character enough that they actually brought her back. And uh, she was the teleporting lady in uh, in the movie. The the teleporting and, lady, that's an awesome power. I was I was like happy to see that or whatever. You know, I, I have no idea who these people are. I just like their powers and stuff. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking like blank, I'm like, man, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> um so um, I was really so I was really excited to see uh, Blink and Bishop and some of the other ones that I didn't care as much about, but was still good. What? You don't I care just about never, Sunspot? I never got into Sunspot. Sunspot's just... great. He's the guy that turns himself into fire. Yeah, I like Sunspot. Yeah, I was less excited about Warpath, but... What's cause... wrong with Warpath? Who's Warpath? Uh, the the guy who could see them coming from the future, or from far away or whatever. Oh, I, I really enjoyed Warpath, actually. I, I thought, oh, it's like the Titanic. I guess I just never know what Warpath's deal is. Sunspot. Oh, he channels solar energy and shoots it around. Oh, Blink. She teleports. Warpath. He exists. Well, we we can't choose our powers, I guess. (laughs) I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some of us just have the power of existing. (laughs) Yeah. He's the scout here, I guess, right? He's the one who sees the sentence coming first. But I mean, beyond that, I don't know. I don't understand why Cypher hasn't shown up yet. Cypher, who has the mutant power of linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd like to think that he was making this up, but no, that is that is 100% <laughs> a real character. Contemporary with Sunspot and, and others. So, But to second what uh, Charlie was saying earlier was, it was nice that there were two timelines that had different mutants, and you could, for like uh, a person who doesn't necessarily watch a lot of the X-Men movies, I could follow it very easily and you go to the, you know, to what was the future or present, then back to the past. So yeah, I, I actually enjoyed that. And and then enjoyed the fact that you get to see a number of, of characters um, and different powers. I thought that was cool. I also was kind of impressed that of like the characters that had appeared in previous movies, like they got all the original actors back. 
does that not happen a lot in X-Men? Well, you know, I just, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Ellen Page was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, yeah. go oh, away, right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, was they this... got Ellen Page to do it because she'd been in X-Men 3. Yeah. They got the guy who'd played Colossus, Daniel Cudmore, in um, the X-Men 2 on back. So at this time in real life, right, the Avengers has happened, correct? Yes. Yeah. So do you, do you think that it's a part of that, is that that these actors want to be a part of something that may be like that, you know? Like, they don't want to just, like, not play the character that they were a long time ago? I guess that's possible. I guess I, we also don't know if there was anyone they tried to get and couldn't. Yeah, okay. Like, like maybe that happened. Like, they went to the guy who was, like, Pyro, and they were like, do you want to be in it? And he was like, no, leave me alone. Mm, could be. Because you would think even with what we've said that there would be a lot of people who just have scheduling conflicts. But, I mean, that's pretty frequent. And beyond, like, wanting to do it or not wanting to do it, it's like, yeah, I'm just busy during that time period. So I guess that makes the most sense is that they just got the people they could get and then put those into the script, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, could be. But especially when you think about, like, some of the cameos, like, they're the major characters, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not shocked that James Marsden was a game to become back as Cyclops. But, you know, getting Famke Jansen was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And obviously the grammar himself. (laughs) I know. Yeah. (laughs) I wish he could have played younger uh, Beast, though. (laughs) You don't like like Nicholas Holt? (laughs) No, no, he was was fine and and very attractive. But uh, I... I, I wish they would have done, you know, a grammar man, cut. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, digital, like, <laughs> digital D, digitally de-aged Kelsey Grammar. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think, what I was going to say was I wish they would have done, like, the Irishman and just, you know, had him just digitally read. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're at that stage in 2014 yet. No, I don't think so either. You're going to be a lot closer to Tron Legacy, creepy DH, <laughs> Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we want. <laughs> hmm. So what would you guys think of the plot? Where it was like, oh, we have to uh, stop this bad thing from happening. And then they kind of did, but didn't do it cleanly. And so the movie kept going for another hour and a half or so. What did you think of that? I was entertained. There was at no point where I was like, get on with it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too, because I guess there is a conversation where like they don't know whether they've done stuff successfully. And doesn't Professor X ask or says to Wolverine, you don't believe that you've actually succeeded because if he believed like because he wasn't know until he goes back. Right. I like I didn't even think about that. Like by preventing the assassination, shouldn't that have done it? How do they know that it did it or didn't do it? Because mm, none of them believed it was enough, I guess. Yeah. 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 They they all knew Raven a little too well. Yeah, know she yeah. they knew she was not a quitter. <laughs> Overall, I thought it was compelling. I it kept me interested in it the whole time. I didn't have a lot of my usual questions like why is this still going. So th- I think they did a good job in the movie of giving you a feel of you're never really quite sure that they're going to succeed. Like some movies, you're like, oh no, I'm sure it's all going to be fine. You know, everything's going to be hunky dory at the end. Yeah, we just we're just sitting to see how they do it. And this one felt more like, as I said, they tried in Paris and didn't quite succeed. And so you you just got to have this feeling like, hmm, the bad guys might actually win. Like you could conceivably see the movie ending in a way that's not a happy ending. Like maybe not as bad as what what the uh, blasted future that you start out with is but still kind of a bad one that was a feeling i got watching the movie at least i felt like at any given time it would have been interesting to see what the timeline would have been if they had just stopped right there like particularly after all the robots are taken over by magneto but before mystique decides not to kill trask Mm, like if she had killed trask (laughs) wouldn't they have said like well maybe these robots still aren't a good idea Hmm, maybe you would have ended up with house of m whereas i was like so if Wolverine never came back, what happened in the original timeline to snap Professor X out of his funk? Like what happened in the prime time? I don't know how to talk oh, about Oh, if he never existed in order to go back. Hmm. 
Yeah, so so what happened initially that got us to the original X-Men movie? Oh, doesn't he promise Logan, though, that he's going to try for everyone? Cause... No, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah, I'm yeah. saying oh. in the original timeline, right, Wolverine never goes back in time. So consequently, he Professor X doesn't meet Wolverine until the events of the X-Men movie. So, but what snapped him in that original timeline, what snapped him oh, out? I see. What snapped oh. his drug-induced stupor? Yeah. Okay. Sounds like sounds like Adam's working on a pitch for another X Men movie here. Anyway, I just it was just something that I contemplated. Was like, how did Magneto ever get out? What happened to Charles in the original timeline? Oh, like, like what cleaned him up? You know that kind of stuff. Hmm. Beast, I assume, was it's, doing fine because he showed up in X Men Three. But it's kind of nice that they they have all of this stuff going on that they. They're not sweeping it under under the rug, but they feel confident enough that they don't need to show it to you, that they can just trust you to believe that, yeah, there was something there, but here's this different way that we're doing it now. Right. You know, yeah. like, like instead of whatever eventually causes the professor to, uh, you know, change his mind, it's we need him to change his mind now. You know, we need Wolverine to really accelerate that process, get things moving. Actually, I have thoughts about answers to my questions, but I just wanted to pose it. Oh, well, in that case, um, I assume that watching Mystique assassinate uh, Boulevard Trask convinced him that it was time to re-engage with the world. How about that? Okay, that was my answer as well. And then Mystique breaks Magneto out of prisons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, the point is that just that it made me think about these things in the first place. You know, I feel like we haven't even talked about the best part of the entire movie yet. Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah Evan Peters. Yeah. Oh, he, you were going to say Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the the Quicksilver stuff really bothered me. What bothered yeah. you? Yeah. Because just because he moves fast doesn't mean the Pong game, the electronics move that fast. He probably just hacked it. <laughs> oh, was it moving fast? Like, was the game moving? Yeah, yeah it's moving. It basically looks like it's accelerated oh. footage or yeah. something, right? And I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, this whole thing makes no sense. Quicksilver sucks. <laughs> Why can't we have Aaron Taylor Johnson be Quicksilver instead? That'd be way better. Oh, <laughs> oh I. <laughs> I'm kidding. Look, look, we'll get to that when we get to that movie. But I just want to say for the record, because I don't want to let this pass without comment. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Evan Peters forever. That'll be cut. <laughs> <laughs> so, but my, uh, so I did have a question about that scene though. Is Charles slowing down time or is he no. just going really fast in that moment? I think, the idea is we're meant to uh, interpret that as that's how fast Quicksilver moves. That, okay, and so everything that he's thinking about. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I was just yeah. I was confused at that point. He can he can move and perceive time much faster than we can, and that's how they represent it. Yeah, because remember Charles doesn't have his powers at that point because right. Magneto's like freeze them, and he's like I can't. Magneto like shoots a gun or and he makes all the metal stuff kind of he makes all the metal and then yeah. Charles goes to like say no stop and I thought that was like might have been enough to like maybe like get him going you know like it was like an emotional thing like you know he tapped into his powers gotcha because yeah, no the idea is I think just that that's how Quicksilver perceives reality yeah either in that moment or possibly always right I mean guess yeah. um nuts, but I mean in in the comics it's that's how he perceives time always. But I think in the movie here, it makes a little more sense if you assume that he can turn his power on and off. Yeah. So. Um, also, I know I'm skipping around here, but Magneto um, and killing the president, is that a thing that ha- like that's talked about in the past or is this just a, just a whole thing for this movie? It's a new yeah. thing we learned for this movie. Gotcha. Okay. And it almost feels kind of throwaway, almost. It's like, well, what's the reason Magneto's in prison so we can break him out? Well, he tried to kill JFK. Sure. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. I know. I no, know. he tried, tried to, to prevent JFK. Oswald from killing well, JFK. Well, fine, but... <laughs> the CIA needed a scapegoat, as did the KGB, their ally. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think the fight scene with Quicksilver is like the the scene of the movie. The time in a bottle scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I noticed uh, that he stole a lot of hostess cakes. Is that is that in the comics? That's Adam? not not the same scene no. as we were talking about, but it, uh, yeah. Well, and then I noticed later in uh, in RFK uh, Stadium, there was a hostess ad that was hmm. that still hadn't been taken down. Uh, I'd assume since um, the, 50s the stadium 70s. had been you know unused by a professional team for the last like two or three or four years or something. Maybe two, two years. years. Um, Center is left in 71, right? I think. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember like during the movie, like trying to look up Don't this know. timeline. You have to look it up. <laughs> Cause you guys, when you guys start talking about it. So I was like, yeah, this is before they, uh, this was after they stopped pro baseball, but before they started soccer. I thought all the hostess cakes were to imply that he needed to eat that much because of his metabolism. Oh, uh, that's good. that makes sense. <laughs> I, I just thought I like he was—I just thought he was stealing stuff. <laughs> that too. I, I oh, actually that's thought what the TVs are for. Because I really I, like the line where like Charles is like, "You, you kleptomaniac, get to break into the Pentagon." Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That was just, like that was all it took to motivate him. Was just here's a true challenge. He's like, "Okay, I'm game." And the the fingers on the glass was also really imaginative, like from a, a writing oh, standpoint yeah. too. Finger. The vibration. Yeah. Because you just like, yeah. like you see him do it, and you're just like, this makes perfect sense. Hmm. I guess let's talk a little bit about the difference between the theatrical cut and the road cut, since I made you all watch it. Yeah, I felt like I was really getting, I was really having trouble figuring out what, even though it was two days earlier. Yeah, like, same. Yeah, movie? same. <laughs> yep. As I, as we observed, where I kept ask, I kept cutting in on the mic and being like, "When's Rogue gonna show up? Are we sure we're watching the right version here?" Yeah, I had the same feeling. Why did they call it the Rogue Cut? Uh, they call it the Rogue Cut because that's the major edition. Not the only edition, but the no, major. But the major. Yeah. Like there's there's Nixon dropping an f bomb was an edition. Oh. Like, that's not in the theatrical version. Okay, I thought that was different, but I wasn't sure. I'm glad that you, you said that, because I, I actually did, when watching it, um, <laughs> think, I, I don't remember Nixon swearing, but yeah. okay. Well, it's because they, they, they're only allowed one F-bomb for a PG-13 rating, right? And they already had, they needed the one where uh, Professor X tells Wolverine to yeah. That was a good one. That was that was good. And I had seen the extra on that one, so that made sense to me. Did you feel that the the major scenes that were added? Did you feel like that added anything in particular? Well, did I you have appreciate to appreciate those, or I have to verify that they were different. Mm, so <laughs> I guess I for me the real problem in tr- in comparing the two is that. Um, it's not just the scenes involving Rogue that are added. There's, you know, various other minor edits earlier in the film. And maybe if it were just the Rogue stuff, I would be more um, accepting of it. But I think overall, all of the other edits, it felt like the theatrical cut made the right decision to cut those various things, cut, cut things a little bit shorter in various places. Um, and I guess an the uh, uh, it's fairly late in the film, but the uh, stuff where Mystique shows up at the mansion, right? That's all new, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I think it was a better choice to not include that stuff because it wasn't essential to the plot and to just keep things moving forward like they did in the theatrical cut. I think it says a lot that we can't easily pick out which scenes were added beyond all the rogue stuff if you can't tell whether it was in the first time you watched it or not then it probably wasn't necessary yeah i don't know if that would be the takeaway i would take because it seems to me that if you can't tell that means that you know it's still reasonably useful information it's not where you can pick it out that often and go no that's new Okay, granted, so not in every situation that is true. I think in this situation it's true. The scenes, I wasn't able to easily pick out what stuff had been added besides the rogue stuff, all right, which we'll get to. And 
when I looked at those scenes, I was like, oh, I'm not sure that stuff was necessary. Like the stuff where Mystique comes back to the house. Like, I don't know. It's kind of filled all that in. I, I think our imaginations did a good job of filling in any gaps that might have been left by not having that material. But then you don't get to see Nicholas Holt and J-Log get it on. I mean, yeah, but that's why it's a deleted scene. You, you see it separate on your Blu-ray and you can play it over and over. <laughs> in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> Uh, rather than just see it in the theater and then, you know, never see it again. (laughs) (laughs) You got to have exclusive material for those discs. Yeah. The rogue stuff itself did not feel like it could have been just in a deleted scenes reel, but all the other stuff did, that didn't directly relate to her. I guess the rogue cut gave you an explicit reason for why, uh, the Sentinels decided to bum rush them in China, whereas in Moscow they only sent a handful. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that I actually needed to see the reason why for that. Well, I, well, I actually, I liked could just them. assume that. Oh, I guess maybe they uh, they tracked down the two groups, and so now you know somehow, and now they they're gonna go whole hog. No, I actually liked it being a little more explicit and giving a little more information. Really? As to, like, yeah, I mean, if the whole idea of having an extra scene and it doesn't give you information makes it bad, then th- you know what I mean? Mm. Like for me, yeah, it, it's okay. like, if you're giving me more information as to why the next scene is happening, then I can get behind it. Also, I really like like seeing Magneto and his powers, you know, and I really thought that the double like going back and forth between him getting into the Pentagon and him getting into Professor X's house was like a really cool like director's cut, I guess. Yeah. And I mean I mean I know that personally like watching the theatrical cut when Wolverine has his freak out and slashes Kitty Pride in the future, right? And then in the theatrical it's just like, oh well I guess she's injured, but so what? It doesn't seem to actually have like have any effect on the plot. Right. So having that actually like have consequences that matter, like I like that in the road cut better. In the theatrical version, how do they they just basically push her to the limit? Yep, she's injured, but she pulls through, I guess. Yeah, I I do think I like the road cut a little bit better in that sense. Yeah, it just generally feels like there's a little bit more clarity as to why things are happening at any given time and whether or not you know, you want that clarity is, you know, a matter of opinion, I think, but right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the question is, is the clarity worth the extra running time in a movie that's already what two eleven or something without that additional? Well, but I mean, sometimes, I mean, that's, that's the question. I'm not saying one way or the other yet. Maybe it's more the opposite there. You have the rogue cut as the original version. Oh, sure. And then it was, do we need the clarity or can we cut it to bring this really long movie down to being just somewhat long? I guess I'd have to double check, but I think actually that was sort of the impetus was that the road cut was sort of the original final cut, but they needed to shorten it down somehow because theaters, you know, have, I mean, not as much now, but shorter movies, let them have more showings and they make more money. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I guess for, for me, this is not a movie that feels super long. Like I felt, engaged throughout the entire thing so when it gets to the end even in rogue cut i'm not feeling like i've been like waiting for you know something to either happen or like okay let's move this along already like i've actually been entertained for the majority of the film and i haven't really like looked at the timing so for me i don't think i think the extra time is not that much of an issue for, for me though. I mean, you know, that's, and that's just a, the, the a casual movie watcher, you know? So there was cool scenes, but like, I don't feel like there wasn't like that much to me that like changed any, any sort of like plot beats significantly enough or like made me feel anything, any, any harder or heavier. I mean, it was cool that they brought in rogue, but, I don't know. I guess I didn't really feel like it added like tons for me just in to the general viewing experience. I don't think it's like bad. And I I really didn't think it was too long either. But so I don't know. I don't I don't have a very strong opinion on on the uh, on the rogue cut itself. Yeah, I just I at the end of it, I was still 
reasonably, I mean, I'm still entertained by the movie and I still liked it. I just, at the end of it, especially when I looked up what individual scenes had been added, I felt like, yeah, they did a really good job of editing that out. (laughs) I'm surprised that they were able to do it. So I thought it was a good edit to take it out to begin with. It's not that I disliked any of it. It's just, wow, it's kind of impressive. They took 11 minutes out of the movie and excised a character completely and it still was just as entertaining. Oh, no. Well, okay, three seconds. She still shows up (laughs) for, yeah, about three seconds in the hallway kissing Bobby. Right. But as other than the question is, how do we how do we evaluate this? Like as a Blu-ray that you can buy after the fact, you know, I think that's great that you had the opportunity to see this storyline that was taken out. It's almost like I guess it depends on how I saw it. Like, I'm not sure I'd want to see the road cut in the theater. But if I had the time to sit down and like, okay, this movie is going to be an extra 11 minutes. I don't know. It's hard even to tell how to evaluate it. Guess we should have listened to the director commentary on the rogue cut. Oh, hmm. oh we we could just take right a now. two and a half hour break, uh, <laughs> listen to the commentary, come back, podcast some more. So I think there's also a scene in the near the beginning of the movie in the the futury stuff where they uh, somebody explicitly points out in the rogue cut that if Wolverine is successful they'll cease to exist. Yeah, I remember that. Was that... Um, Bishop. Yeah, yeah, that was Bishop that said that. Like, some of us are just going to have never been born. Yeah. Which I didn't even think about that. Like, oh, yeah. I actually, but I like that scene because in, in the dashboard cut, it's just like, yeah, okay, let's do it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it was nice to at least have a little bit like, are we sure we want to yeah. do this? I mean, definitely oh, some of us are going to well, disappear without a trace and we'll never know it, but... Uh, The other thing about the difference between the two is the stuff at the end um, where there's added material in the future. I think that not having it there actually made it a bit more desperate feeling in the theatrical version because it was like, okay, you know, we're we've got multiple things going wrong here. We've got uh, Shadow Cat is, uh, you know, on death's doorstep practically. And the Sentinels are on our doorstep. Everything is pretty much coming to a head and it's not going to end well. So like it, it gave me a, a lot stronger sense of desperation in the theatrical version. And I like okay. that. I do have to say when it comes to that scene, I, I don't think I really thought about the uh, full implications of them resetting the timeline. So I, I did appreciate that line. It's like, you know that things can, can will will be different and you can mess things up, but it's nice to hear someone say, hey, just so you know, this might erase my existence from the record books. And Professor X and uh, Magneto are kind of like, and this affects me how? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> we know we exist. <laughs> I think at the, uh, the heart of it, it's a question of, are we willing to risk what we have now oh, yeah. for yeah, the yeah. possibility of a better future? Would you sacrifice yourself for a better timeline? Yes. Um, Will we have a better tomorrow? Tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It, that even that even kind of <laughs> just like with uh, just like with Mystique, Magneto tries to sacrifice her for the better timeline. And then he just gives up. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he knew he failed already. <laughs> he, knows, he knows when to give up, knows when to quit. <laughs> Tony feels he should have committed to the bit, regardless of whether it was a good bit or not. I already not. tried to kill you. It didn't work. They got your blood. I'm moving on. Let's still try to kill you and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... What are some scenes that we haven't talked about yet that people liked? So um, I think my favorite scene is uh, obviously Kelsey Grammer. Um, But then immediately after where um, Wolverine is like kind of putting the pieces together that they, you know, he's seeing all these people that weren't in his timeline. Right. So obviously things are a success. But the scene with the exchange between him and Professor X when he's like, you're going to need to teach me a little bit about history. And then Professor X just goes, welcome back. Like, for whatever reason, that really, like, got me, like, 
Like I was like, all right, that that was a great line. That was a great, you know, exchange of just like we did it, you know, and and it was kind of like a, a celebration. So I I really liked that that scene, um, and a, specifically that exchange. I like the part where Charles and Eric are confronting each other on the plane, and Magneto gets really upset and starts to like wreck the plane a bit. I like the part afterwards where Wolverine's like, "So you were always an asshole." And then later he's like, do you want to pick all that up? (laughs) (laughs) Just a fun moment. I laughed both times. I think I did too. Yeah, that was funny. I know we touched on this already, but I really enjoyed the initial fight scene. So after the introduction where they, you know, give you backstory where Kitty Pride, Bishop, et cetera, are um, fighting off the Sentinels and we get introduced to the Sentinels. I thought that was, I thought that was a lot of fun. I thought it did a good job of setting up the movie and we don't quite know what Kitty Pride is doing. Uh, to try to yeah. save save yeah. everything, and when she disappears, I'm like, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. I agree. I liked uh, I liked Young Beast's uh, crazy AV closet uh, setup, <laughs> <laughs> like a multi monitor computer. Like before, there was was that sort of thing. He had all three channels plus PBS. You know, he's he very going. He was he was just had his full blown nerd cave. Yeah, he was very excited about having PBS. Like, oh man, it must have been so hot in there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was he was proud of PBS as well. Yeah, well, it only started in '69. Oh, yeah. So that was just like a hot new station. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was cool as someone who was like sitting at his equivalent of that in 2020 your battle station yeah yeah so i guess yeah it's beast's retro battle station (laughs) all right so ultimately what did you think of the movie would you time travel back to the past to try and create a better version or would you just let it play out as it goes i guess i'm just asking how many sentinels out of 10 would you give this movie oh and the rogue cut as well if you want to do them separate i definitely enjoyed this movie i a little bit more than i was expecting to what were you going into it expecting and why uh i was kind of going into this expecting you know kind of on the level of uh x-men first class you know kind of i expect all these movies to kind of be a sort of the same with the same cast but this one i thought just had a more compelling time travel storyline that i was invested in and you know, I was really interested to see how it was going to turn out. And yeah, again, they had the characters from two separate places, and I didn't really feel the character fatigue I usually feel. Um, and it was nice that it focused on Wolverine, who's, you know, and not, I don't think it's a unique take, but probably my favorite X-Man. Um, so I would give the theatrical cut 8 out of 10 Sentinels. The Rogue cut, I, you know, again, it's, it's kind of hard to evaluate, but I think it was all cuttable. I think it was a good idea to cut it. I don't think it made the movie significantly worse, but it did add 11 minutes, which I don't really feel ultimately needed to be there. So I'm going to give that a 7.5 Sentinels. So pretty close. I feel like I have to give it a lower rating because I don't think it was as good. All right. Um, Doug, you want to go next? You gave it a 9.5 on our initial theatrical viewing. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, I stand by that initial assessment. It's a really good movie, really entertaining, amazingly well cast and well acted, you know, great costume design, you know, good plotting and you know, just the way they wrote the story and made it all actually work and not be horribly confusing. Thought it was great. And uh, for the rogue cut, I agree with uh, everything Charlie said, and I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. It slowed down the pace a little bit too much with all of the tiny little edits that they put back into the movie. So nine out of 10 for the rogue cut. Just watch the theatrical cut instead. Tony. Um, I gave this one an eight, right? Uh, yes. Initially an eight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, on the initial one, I, I, I gave it an eight. I think I'm going to stand by that. I really do enjoy this movie. I think that, uh, I like maybe some of like the Avengers, uh, movies better. So I think that's why it ultimately got an eight. I love the premise, you know, the time traveling and kind of how they walk you through that. And it's easy to, to follow. Um, and I'm going to give the rogue cut a little bit of love on this one. I think it was a little bit better, to be honest with you. I think that I liked some of the editing better in it. And um, 
I think that uh, it gave a little more information for me that I, I really did enjoy. Um, so I'm going to give that an 8.5. So not too high, but a little bit of love, and I would watch that again over the theatrical. Okay. Um, on my first theatrical viewing, I was kind of between 8 and 8.5. I think it's a really well-done movie, as everyone said. Plot's really good. One of the things that we kind of haven't really talked about um, is that like it's really cool that like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are back and like you know reprising these roles even though after First Class it kind of felt and X Men The Last Stand those two things combined it kind of felt like oh we probably just will never see the original X Men people again and so to see them and like Halle Berry and Sean Ashmore um, you know seeing them in there um, was is really cool too um, the one thing I sort of noticed it's not even really a problem with this movie but like it occurred to me watching it the road cut today was that this really feels like it should be the final movie of the original X-Men movies. And like, you know, like bringing back all the characters and stuff is like, and like, Oh, Jean Grey's back and Cyclops is back. And all this is like, just seems like the real, like nice button to the series. So the fact that we're going to get two more main X-Men movies and then, you know, a bunch of spinoffs of very, you know, generally high quality, but, in some level, it's just like, oh, well, this might be unnecessary on some level, which is a long way of saying that if they were able to make this the final movie of their of a trilogy or whatever Matthew Vaughn was originally playing, I think it would have worked even better as that. You know, it's still really good. I'm going to go with I'm going to go up to eight point five on my theatrical cut. And then as far as the road cut, I like that they added a lot of the character stuff back in like it's. On the one hand, yeah, the theatrical version is a little quicker, but I do feel like you sometimes, and you can fill in the gaps, but I feel like you sometimes lose a little bit of, you know, character motivation and moments and things like that. And so I appreciated having that in the road cut. I do agree that the Mystique Beast scene is probably extraneous. If if there was one scene I was going to pinpoint and say that didn't really need to be in there, it's probably that scene. But the rest of it, I think I more or less appreciated. I don't know that it necessarily makes it a better movie, but I don't think it makes it a worse movie either. It's just different. So I think I'm just going to give the road cut the same rating as the theatrical cut. And just, that's also an 8.5 Sentinels out of 10. Um, so yeah, I think I originally gave this what an 8.5 Yep. after first viewing after seeing, uh, the road cut as well. I think I'll, I'm going to stick with that. I, it had a very cool and engaging plot. I like the time travel and the particular rules that they set around it to make it work well. The climax is really exciting, kind of with the dual timeline events going on. Uh, as far as like the the theatrical versus the robe cut, I think I like the robe cut just a little more in that it just felt somewhat more fleshed out or there were just certain small details added that kind of made me a little more engaged with the characters my original 8.5 i'll stick with that for the uh theatrical and then i'll go up to a nine for the rogue cut i just think it was a really solid really solid movie my favorite thing about that is that it means that the rogue cut and the theatrical cut should all average to the same <laughs> oh. nice <laughs> they should just make two of every marvel movie <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> so as of right now, I think the only movie like that we actually have to worry about in the Marvel March is uh, Deadpool 2. Because there is a theatrical release, Once Upon a Deadpool, that is a PG-13 cut with new um, scenes. Huh. With, That's uh, interesting. With uh, Fred Savage. All right. So thanks so much for joining us on our 45th installment of the Mary Marvel Movie March. We're going to jump forward to August 2014. And we're going to discuss a movie that we have actually discussed before on the podcast. So I don't know what we're going to do to make it different. But uh, that is Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, all right. We have made it to Guardians. So, yay. That is that is yay. I'm excited. (laughs) So we hope you join us for that. And anything that happens in the middle, I'm Adam Gabeski. And I'm Charlie Wallace. And a special thanks to our past and soon future guests. Doug Gobeski. It was uh, fun being here. Thank you. Paul Wilcox. It's a great time, as always. And Tony Huff. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. All right, somebody's got a banter, so we have an outro 
thing that the music can play over. We could have Doug uh, keep playing uh, songs from PJ Harvey. <laughs> 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 See everyone listening. That was a section earlier that got cut. <laughs> hey everyone, thanks for listening to our show. Make sure to check out our website at gobeskywalshreport.com. Hey everybody, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Just follow us at GW Report and like our page on Facebook, the Gobeski Wallace Report. And hey everybody, tune in to next episode where there's sure to be tons more hilarity that we know you'll enjoy. Hey everybody. Charlie, did you watch both versions? I did watch both versions. Okay. We tricked you. We did it. <laughs> did you not watch both versions? <laughs> yeah, we watched we watched all three versions, actually. Oh no. We didn't we didn't tell you about we tricked ourselves. <laughs> the well. rouge cut. <laughs> no, the only rogue cut. <laughs> the all rogue cut. Yeah, we watched the rogue cut, and then we watched the rogue cut with the commentary on. <laughs> Just like 30 minutes of uh her unconscious and like in surgery. <laughs> no, Anna Paquin plays every role. <laughs> Packing in the Paquin. That's funny. You know, if you combined Mystique and Quicksilver's powers, you could have one person play every role. Hmm. Oh, like an Olsen twin. <laughs> yeah, the Olsen twins now in progressive scan mode. <laughs> that'd be pretty good doug you'd you'd call that mutant gaslight because they could just put on whatever show they wanted for everyone in the world all of the time i feel like somebody named gaslight is more likely to be a a guy who breathes fire but you know not out of his mouth i assume gaslight is the modern name for the hate monger it's <laughs> <laughs> a real character by the way oh oh yeah yeah that's a Captain America villain, right? Uh, I think he shows up in a number of places. I think it's a secret Hitler clone or something. Yeah, <laughs> sounds right. A Fantastic Four initially. See, this is the problem with the whole go back in time and kill Hitler, because if time travel were possible, people would have already cloned him. Sorry, I'm just pondering that. Yeah, I'm having a hard time <laughs> parsing that. Oh, I could parse it. I was just like, huh. <laughs> Well, I think that would only work if cloning were possible, which it's not. We're talking about a world in which time travel is possible. If I had to pick which one of those two was more likely, (laughs) based on my current knowledge of physics, I would probably pick cloning. If the clone comes out of the tube looking all screwed up, you just wind time backwards and try again? Is that how this goes? Time travel is a thing, people. We're doing it right now. (laughs) Yes, but we're more contemplating the faster-than-light equivalent of time travel. The time equivalent of faster-than-light spatial travel. Look, I got a pained chuckle from Charlie. That's all I wanted. (laughs) Okay.